Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Women wrapped up in blankets and they're looking for food. It's the saddest thing I've ever witnessed. Trust is a human emotion. And for some reason, we've embedded trust in social media. I thought about you, but I did get it because you've given us so much airtime. Thank you so much. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know the way you start thinking, well... How long ago was something that you were involved in? Um, and we were just having a chat this morning in the office about half eight about something that I was involved in. And I was thinking that maybe it was, what, 10 years ago? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I'll tell you what it was and when it was in a while. Um, but let me just say there was a lot of us. It was very early in the morning and we had very few clothes. In fact, we had no clothes on. You'll remember it if you were there. Um, I'll come back to it a, a bit later on. Because they did it in Bondi Beach this weekend with two and a half thousand people on the beach at half past five in the morning. But I was trying to figure out when was it? And I thought, that's uh, God, no, God, I all, all felt very old this morning. 0818969696 Good morning. Text to WhatsApp 0833969696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie This petition was climbing and climbing and climbing last week when we talked to Charlie Clark, the petition to save the Marina market. We've since learned, Charlie, that the market itself is not in any danger in any kind of immediate time frame. But still, its long-term future is in doubt. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> good morning to you too. That's that's right. Yeah. They like with the appeal process. I suppose they could get you know up to a year, possibly, kind of you know legal stuff and all that going on. Mm. But nevertheless, you know, we don't know what's going to happen at that stage, and. Mm. You know where where lots of European cities are opening up these kind of social facilities. We just have this one there now, and 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 they want to close it. 
mm. which mm. is completely going against you know the trend and everything like and uh, it's it's a fantastic facility i know <clears throat> it's in a big old warehouse but you know, it just needs a bit of negotiation and, and, and discussions to try and sort out a solution rather than just saying we're refusing permission to you, you know, you have four weeks to appeal or else you can, you can bugger off. Like, that's, that's you know, complete, to me that was unreasonable and that's why I went ahead and set up that petition online. And there's nearly 30,000 people have signed it It's now. gone over 30,000 yesterday. Uh, I mean, that's a staggering indication of... The, the, the desire for it. What is the, the love in which the Marina Park is is held? Like starting yeah. up during <clears throat> COVID, <throat> I can remember going down there in the very early days, and there was a couple yeah. of unusual things. First of all, it was kind of the only place we could go and yes. you could get a bit of food and coffee, and you could bring your dog. And there With was a bit li- of safety, a little bit know? of safety, yeah. and there was little or nothing there when we went down there first. There just was, a few. That's right. Hardy. Yeah, you know the, uh, the kind of the God loves a trier kind, and to <laughs> look at it now, I know sure it's a proper setup. I mean, and look what I've I've even been talking to the owner since. Yes, and um, I actually didn't realise that I knew him, and uh, that chat with him on the phone, and uh, he's very supportive of of it all. Um, he said that he was just kind of notified that they were refusing without you know giving him any. He hasn't. I don't think he said any kind of major discussions with them or his mm. people or his organisation. And you know, he said he's very supportive of the vendors there. Um, he he even kind of like he has a good arrangement with them apparently, to the best of my knowledge, for the way they you know um, pay him and everything. Mm. And like he even said, it probably would bring in more money revenue for him as a warehouse because yeah. that's what it's set up as. But. Yeah. Like he decided to try and do this, and he put all the toilets in and everything. I mean, he's he's put a big investment into it, and you well, know, it's, it's funny. It's, I was in there uh, maybe during yeah. the summer for a spot of lunch, and I felt Mother Nature calling me rather urgently, and mm. I had never been to use the toilets in there, and I was asking. Yeah, I said, Mother of God, I've been in four star hotels that don't have that kind of luxury in the toilet. <laughs> it's fantastic. I know. Yeah, well, and the lighting and everything, it's just owner. fabulous. <clears throat> yeah, and the whole festive kind of feel of the place, even, you know, even throughout the year there, there's a nice little atmosphere in there as a, as a, as a place to go to. Um, I've, I've also been in contact there with a couple of councillors since uh, during the week there, and they're kind of, you know, very much in favour of keeping it open. See, it, was, it wasn't the council itself at all. I think it's just the planning department. So mm. some of the councillors, including an ex-Lord Mayor there, I think was mentioned in the news that he was going to ask them to reconsider. Mm, mm, mm. You see, but these things look, look have been taken it, yeah. out of the hands of councillors now, Charlie. And I was well, only chatting have, yeah. to a few of them last <clears> week. I was at a was at a civic reception inside. There was a few councillors around who we were, we were chatting about it. And I said mm. kind of that the... The process has all changed now. Councillors never really get to see this stuff. Like, they never really get to see the budget anymore. It's just no, agreed. They well, they, they, they get to tease yeah, it out of committee. But, yeah. You know? A lot of they, their power is taken away from them, actually, this stage. I don't know if they've, you know, what they can do yeah. or what they can't do. Um, but, you know, it's, <clears throat> it'll be a travesty if it, if it closes. Let's bring the <coughs> former Lord Mayor in. Charlie, stay there one second <coughs> for me. Bring in former Lord Mayor, Councillor Mick Finn. Mick, your, your power to do anything about this as an elected body, it's, it's, it's kind of gone of late, isn't it? Morning. 
Yeah, good morning. Yeah, um, look, councillors um, have very little role in planning, to be quite honest. Um, it's an executive function, which means that it's carried out by officials. Um, and I suppose all we can do is, you know, bring pressure and make representations. And that's what a lot of us have done um, since we heard that, that, you know, the marina market issue, um, you know, had a planning problem. So, um, you know, I suppose I'd be encouraging the owners and the developers behind the market now to try and address some of the problems that were raised in that um, process. I mean, we, we all, you know, the, um, well done to Charlie for the, the petition because, you know, we've been inundated with, with people saying that this needs to be protected mm. and kept, uh, you know, as a great asset in the city. And I would 100% agree with that. And, you know, we all know, Mick, these things have to be safe and well looked after and well catered for in that regard and as it got more popular and as more people went down there clearly the requirements change with regard to, to public safety and we, we, we get all that but I was looking at the document, the health and safety document and I have, I have a pal who's in the health and safety game as it were and he said mm. to me that technically speaking technically, if you're going to take it to its nth, that document that's, pre- that's on your website um you could stop people walking down to the marquee in large numbers. Yeah, I mean, that's what struck me as well when I saw some of the elements of it. I mean, there are existing businesses there as well and, you know, operations there that surely were comp- are compromised as well if that's, if that's a factor, you know, when, when one of the places is mentioned as being, you know, potentially dangerous for, for the market. And, you know, you have so many other um, operations from there as well. I suppose this came to light, you know, because... A retention of planning was sought, yeah. um, and you know when it comes through the planner's desk. And I suppose you could understand from a planner's point of view as well, you know that there are some issues, you know, obviously uh, concerning with with, with the, the marina market site. And if if they didn't act on it and something happened, you know, the yeah. city council would be the first to be blamed. But I think here what's needed is is a compromise. Here, you know, there are ele- safety elements that need to be addressed. I think they can be addressed. Um, and I just think, you know, the, the council aren't going to comment. Um, you know, the planning decision, I suppose, is their co- effective mm. comment on this. But, I mean, we should be doing everything possible now to try and keep this open. I mean, like, I lived in Australia for three years, and these are the type of venues that were popular. Oh, yeah. You know, it's been it's been brought to Cork. It's been so popular. I used it for a youth festival during the summer, and people were raving about the, the venue and the offering that's there. And, you know, you have the, you know, all the employment uh, considerations yes, yes, as well. So yes. I think everything should be, you know, needs to be done um, by the, by certainly by the, uh, the um, developers and the, the owners of it now to, to kind of try and, um, you know, address as many of the problems that were raised in the planning um, application as possible. Is this the kind of thing, and I know they are going to onboard Planola and that'll, that takes as long as it takes. Is this the kind of thing, Mick, that could end up in front of an oral hearing held in public? It possibly could, but I suppose, as you mentioned there, you know, it does take time, and I suppose that will will allow the marina market to keep operating, um, you know, which is probably, you know, one uh, positive yeah, there's part nobody, of the whole can we reassure? I suppose we might reassure people of that, That and, and Charlie, you're listening into this, there is no yeah, danger yeah. that this market is going to close anytime soon until at least this process is completely exhausted. Uh, exactly, and I mean that could take that could possibly take up to twelve months. You know, you you, you just don't know with with board Planola and all the, the difficulties they're having themselves as well. Mm. Um, so I mean, I think you know it has given obviously there's a, a four week period for uh, the, the owners to uh, to make 
you know, their, um, I suppose their feelings known and, and address some of the issues. But this could take time. And I think, you know, that in this instance, um, you know, the, the, the delays in Board yeah. Planola is a positive. Uh, so I think... Uh, and when you know, Board Planola get involved, who gets to have their say then? As to as to what happens, who who gets to have a say? Well, it's Board Planola itself, as you know, as an independent planning body, um, will will make determinations on this. Um, you know, it could ultimately um, come before um, you know a judicial review or something like that, which has happened obviously in things like Morrison's Island. Um, but um, you know, it, it's it's the board itself now will make determinations okay. on this. There's not there's not an opportunity for the public. But I think you know things like the. Um, Setting the petition will certainly kind of you know bring the bring the public view to people's minds when they're deliberating on these things. I think, and that's the that's the good uh, and positive aspect of the petition. That so many people signing it. All right. Well, no danger of uh, hanging over the 30, market. Thirty thousand people. Thirty thousand yes. people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. a huge staggering amount out of the population of our, our city. It's fantastic, okay. and it's great. Yeah. It's, it's great to get that many, and it's and it's still open, and people I'll, can still sign. I leave it open another while, and then we'll just send it off into whoever you know in the planning. If I get a, an address there or something, all right, submit it, and I'll send it off to the, some of the medias as well. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Mick can help you with all those things. Thank you very much, Councillor McFinn, uh, former Lord Mayor, and Charlie Clark, Clark, Charlie Clark, the man behind the Save the Marina Market petition, which now stands at over thirty thousand signatures. So. Board Planola will come in, they'll make a decision in the fullness of time. We won't know what they do until they do it. But that itself is only the start of a process. I mean, I don't wish to raise the I word, but they're arguing about an incinerator down in Ringeskiddy for how long now? How long? There's no danger to the market. No danger to the market for the foreseeable. That's the one thing we can take out of it. 0818 96 96 96. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96 FM. Merry Christmas! With your local mace. Great value deals for family and friends this Christmas. Cork's 96 FM. Our friends at Foot Solutions are back with us this Christmas for another giveaway. I have a 200 euro voucher every day this week with Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade. You're giving the gift of happiness to your loved ones this Christmas with a Foot Solutions gift and free your feet and the rest will follow, as we always say. Tell you how to do it in a little while, but Foot Solutions with us for the week, a 200 euro voucher to give away every day this week. I remember saying this before, I went to I, I went to seek their assistance a number of years ago when I was in right trouble with my feet. Uh, and they sorted me out. And I've been a fan to this day. So I'll tell you how you're going to win that voucher a little bit later on with Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade. But first of all, we were waiting for this on Friday. We got word on Thursday that the report was eventually coming out uh, on what happened to the organs of babies who died at uh, CUH. This was the incineration scandal. And the investigation was finally put in report form and sent to the parents last Thursday night stroke Friday morning. The investigation has found that the organs of 18 babies were sent without the consent or knowledge because of a misguided decision and a deviation from local policy and national standards. The report also found the decision to send the baby's organs for incineration was made by the hospital's post-mortem room team. 
team had consulted guidelines specific to waste management, but these were not, the investigation said, compliant with the sensitive disposal of organs. The report described that decision as misguided, and it said the post-mortem team has stated they very much regret the actions taken, and that is the gist of it. And now Katie Criggins, little boy James, passed away at just two days of age in CUMH in January of 2020. He was a premature baby. Katie, I know every time you talk about this, it's painful again. So we're thinking primarily of your loss and what happened afterwards. You got the report on Friday and you read it and you've been even more unhappy, I think, than you were before. Good morning. Morning, Peter. Well, from like I actually only got the courage to read it yesterday because from the cover letter, the wording of the cover letter alone, it upset me because in one paragraph alone, the way they've worded it, it would actually hurt any family, not just us 18 families, but anybody that would read it, it would actually upset you. So it took me the few days to just get over the cover letter before I could even have the heart to open the review. Do you, mind, do you mind telling me what they said in the cover letter or is, is that... Um, that's just that I acknowledge we let you down in respect of the respectful disposal of your baby's post-mortem organs. Like, the fact they worded it, we let you down. They didn't let us down. This is something way more serious than just letting a family down. Yes. Yes. So when you sat down then to read the report, a difficult read. Yeah, like I I sat down with a highlighter, to be honest, and I was kind of trying to highlight the points that stood out and then trying to figure out what's missing or like I wanted to make sure I knew all the kind of key factors as to why it happened and see if we got the answers that we wanted. Whereas we have gotten some of them, whereas we have gotten, we haven't gotten the others. Let's let's deal with the ones you have and then we'll talk about the ones you haven't. So what has been answered and has it been answered in a way that satisfies you? Well, what's annoying us mostly, first off, is one of the things that, like, they're actually, all their excuses for why it took so long. Like, they're blaming COVID as one key factor. Then they're saying they couldn't seek the experts to carry out the review. They had to go to the UK to get an expert to find out they couldn't use the UK because they have different laws. So that person then couldn't be used, so they had to go looking again. Then they're using the cyber attack on the HSE as another excuse. Mm-hmm. Like they're just giving us one excuse after the other as to why it took so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like one of the main factors that we're kind of, in a way, happy with the outcome is that we know who decided on this whereas like they're saying post-mortem, it was the post-mortem room team whereas when you actually read the review properly it was just one member of the review team made the decisions on their own well well like let's let's not let's I, and I don't know if there is a name well, we don't know any no, names okay, no okay. we haven't been told it would, be, would be best not to have a name at this point <laughs> and I, I've, I've said from the start I've said from the very start that you and others want to know exactly who signed off on this and why. At the moment, we don't have yeah. that name, but it was made by the post, someone in the post-mortem team, that decision. Yeah. 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 And then another thing that's upsetting us is two other factors, actually, apologies, is that we're after, one, we found out 
through the review, it didn't happen in Belgium. It actually happened in Denmark. Oh, yeah. Whereas we had been told from day one that it was on. It happened in Belgium. Um, another thing we found out is that the CUH post-mortem team didn't even contact the CUMH to see was there any plots there of which they found out through the review there was. So there was an option. And also that, like, the last, the second lot of perinatal organs were sent on the 2nd of April 2020. And on the 27th of April, they cut the review team and the staff members from the post-mortem team contacted the HSE and they were able to manage to get three plots for the CUH only 25 days later. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, as we've talked before, Kate, you know, you're you're very strong and you and Leona and others, the Kellehers in Australia who I've talked to, you know, your strength is amazing. But I'm sure every time you have to think about this every time you have to talk about this every time you think you're going to get an answer and you don't must be very hard that's it it's like it are, like the hospitals don't know how much they've actually affected us us families but not even just us parents but like our kids are suffering because we're not fully there for them in a way because we're trying to fight this for our other babies as well yes. so we're being as strong as we can be, but at the same time, there's obviously weak parts of us that are upset and hurt at the same time. Yeah. I was talking to um, Leona only a couple of weeks ago about how you weren't, you parents weren't allowed to see the draft. You had to wait for the yeah. actual final report. You'd no, you'd no input to it. How did you feel about No, that? we were told from day one that we would get the draft report that we get a say and say whether we agree with sections and whether we don't agree with sections. Whereas it was only recently we found out that we were getting the final. Like, so we don't know, is there pieces missing? Is there pieces that were put in? Is there pieces that were taken out? Like it says even in the report that all the staff that were involved and the people who were interviewed, that they all got to see the draft report. Mm. So why didn't we get to see the draft report? Well, there's a saying, you know, in advocacy, Kate, and maybe you've heard it along the way, it's nothing about us without us. And, That's and this report, and let's get, look, I'm not connected to it in any way other than to cover it as a very shocked journalist for the last couple of years. But yeah. to think that the entire thing has been compiled and finalised and, and again, something signed off on without yeah. your say-so. I, I don't think and not it, even I that, like accurate. the report is 124 pages and out of the 124 pages, only 41 pages are telling us what happened. The rest of it is just a copy of the forms we signed in the hospital, a copy of the information booklets we got. So literally out of the 124 pages, only 40 of the pages are to do with it. Right. The rest of it we already knew. We it's the forms we signed. It's the information booklets we read. Right. Yeah. Bulking out the report. Do, That's do, you, it. do you feel at all that anyone gets it? What you have gone through and what you are still going through. No, I only said it to my own mother last night. Literally, my own mother last night saying that she doesn't even understand what's going on in my head. Like, 
there's just so many things that will go around my head every day, every morning when I wake up. Like, it's not just a case of, oh, I'll think of it now, I'll think of it then. It's on our heads 24-7. And do you want to share with people, Kate, what goes through you? I mean, I, I suppose you probably think, am I doing the best for James? Is that what you think? Well, I have other children at home as well, so without them, I wouldn't be as strong as I am. Yes. So, like, there's days I don't even want to get out of the bed that I'm just lying in the bed thinking, what, if I didn't sign the forms, what if I didn't agree to the postmortem, would this have happened? Like, there's days I blame, I trying to take the blame on myself or I took down his pictures for months. I literally only put his pictures up last week when I received the report because when all this came about, I was looking at his pictures and I was saying, what could I have done different? Or I wish I had the answers. Whereas I was looking at him and I, I just felt sorry that I couldn't give the answers. I couldn't, I didn't have the answers. Yeah, that must be very hard. That's it. And like my other two children, like they talk about their brother daily. My daughter, the only picture that was left up in the house is the picture of my daughter with him. And other than that, until last week, I had to put them all away because I just couldn't face them. Will this report be any way helpful? In a way it has, it's given me a little bit of closure because I now know that it was signed off by someone. Yes. Whereas at the same time, we still don't have the answer as to what went on in this person's head to actually allow this happen. Yes. Like what in his mind actually said, this is okay to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know that the Kelleher's in Australia and Leona and I'm sure yourself, you would like... You would, it'll probably never happen, unfortunately, Kate, but you would like to meet the team who signed off on this and ask them why, would you? It's not even the team. It's like, as I've said, the HSE has let us down, the Minister for Health has let us down, especially because he stood up in the dial and he said, I promise you will have your answers by such and such a date. Not once has the Minister for Health approached any single one of our families or met us face to face and actually said, this should not have happened to you. Right. Because I remember at the time like, he, he gave an interview and we had clips of it here on the show. Yeah. And, and he... Like, it's all, it's all well and good apologising to us through letters, through emails, but they can't see by the way we're uh, like if we're at home reading this reading oh I'm sorry oh we regret this happened they can't see the hurt and pain that's in us and what they actually have caused us yeah are you getting help with that Kate <clears throat> I I, ha- I am I'm I'm lucky I have a family that support me and where I am I'm lucky that I have close friends so they all kind of support me and then my GP, my own team and stuff will support me as well. So without them, my, and my, especially mostly my children, without my children, I just don't think I will get up in the mornings, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think something, and I'm going to share something to you as a parent, and ironically, as a parent of a young man called James, um, I think, I think he's very proud of his mammy. 
wherever he is. Yeah. I think he's proud of his mammy. I hope so, because he is my reason to fight, so. Yeah. Kate, uh, is this it? Does the fight go on, or do you want more answers? I think our fight at the moment is especially for the human tissue will to be brought in. We were promised that it'll be brought in in September. And we actually had to find out through a third party that it wasn't even mentioned. So... At the moment now, we have a petition up on Facebook, thanks to Laura and Finton. So at the moment, we're doing a petition to try to get the human tissue bill brought in as soon as possible. Do you know what blew me away when I was reading about that bill? Was it was Mary Harney? Who, who, yeah. who, who, I mean, it's not yesterday she was Minister for Health, like. <laughs> you know? Well, we've been told it's been going on years, whereas... I think we're the type of people now that after what's happened to us and how much it's after hurting us, I think we all have the fight in us as a group just to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it to be brought in. So okay. we won't let it down. We're not the type of people that will back off. I, I know. I, I got that impression many, many months ago. Kate, <laughs> thank you for speaking to me at, at a very difficult time. Thank you for speaking to me again. And, and you Thanks, know yourself, Peter. if ever we can help, we're, we're here if ever there's anything we can do for you guys as a team. Thank you very much. That's Kate Quilligan. And we're also grateful to uh, Leona, of course, and to the Kellehers in Australia, who we've spoken to over the last number of months. I don't know how they are so calm. I I really don't, because if you read into it, and I haven't seen the full report, I've just read the reportage of it, but listening to them, they still have a lot of questions that they need answering. PJ, this is nothing new. It happened to thousands of women 15 years ago. They're grieving for years and years since. Do you remember Donal, who used to be on the air for years about his daughter's organs? We never got answers that time either. Yeah, this was Donny, and he was a good pal. He was a good pal of Fergal's and a good pal of mine, and he was a nice fella, um, and he used to ring me about many, many things. He was a great contributor to our programme for many, many years, talking about many, many things. But any time this particular subject would come up, you could be sure of a call from Donny, and, and he would be so upset about what had happened and how he felt he could never do right by his daughter because of what was done. Uh, yeah, with the, I, And I, you know what I thought of Donny? I thought of Donny when I was reading about this at the weekend, as I often do. I understand how that caller feels. We lost our baby years ago, and back then you didn't get as much support as you do now. We have this now, and it seems there's never any proper sensitivity in dealing with that kind of loss. Yeah. 0818 96 96 96. On a completely different thing, Lisa was on. She said... I left the bar and restaurant in Glenwire last night. A young man came running towards me. He wanted to rub my hair and tickle, tickle me. His mom and his grandma were in panic, shouting at him, come back, Adam, come back, apologising to me. They said he's autistic. I'm not one to judge a child. So I left him, rub my hair, and he left away very happy. We don't know what people carry with them in life. Be kind first. Ask questions later. Be mindful. That's lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. It's that time of year again. Oh yes, it is. 
This Friday is a free Panto Friday on Cork's 96FM for Cinderella. This year's Panto at the Everyman. Listen in all day Friday for the cue to call and you could win a family pass to see the show on Thursday, December 15th. Plus a VIP reception from 6pm. Stay listening to win your way to Cinderella at the Everyman. Only on Cork's 96FM. Right, Sal, I'm not letting you out of my sight. Let's do this together. I need new kitchen tiles. Gotcha. I am focused. I'm ready. Wow, look at the selection of laminate. Oh, 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 the timber flooring. It's to die for. Focus, Sal. OMG, I can't cope with that bathroom wear. It's so beautiful. I can't believe she's gone again. Lose yourself in great quality and value at Del Forno Tiles and Timber, Kinsale Road, Cork and the Red Cow Interchange, Dublin. Christmas comes early to Brown Thomas. Enjoy up to 20% off across fashion, accessories and home and 10% off selected beauty sets from November 23rd through to November 28th. Visit our website or inquire in-store. Brown Thomas, for an out-of-this-world Christmas. This Christmas, fraudsters will target people shopping online. That's why Bank of Ireland are looking out for your financial well-being. Remember, stop Think. Check. Stop. Don't just click any old link. Think. Bank of Ireland will never send you texts or emails asking for your full 365 PIN or one-time passcode. And check using their exclusive text checker by sending the word check followed by the Bank of Ireland message to 50365. For more info, search Bank of Ireland Security. And together, we won't let the fraudsters win. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If you are a supplier of agriculture or food products, you need to know about the unfair trading practices regulations. The regulations provide legal protection against 16 unfair trading practices, such as unilateral contract changes or late payments. The Unfair Trading Practices Enforcement Authority has been established to enforce these regulations. If you have been subjected to an unfair trading practice, you can contact the authority about your complaint in confidence. Know your rights. Visit utp.gov.ie. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. The following is based on a true love story from someone in Cork. You've probably heard loads of horror stories about online dating. And I'm here to give you some good news for a change. I met herself online. When we matched, we got on so well. She's serious banter. And she's not afraid to take the mick out of me. And I secretly love it. We have loads in common and we actually only live down the road from each other. We met up for our first date and... Sparks flew. Four years later, we're still together. So, just in case you needed the push in the right direction, here it is. Online dating works. Start your true love story today. Register for free at 96fmdating.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Okay, back with Foot Solutions. They're back with us on the show. We've a giveaway every day this week. 200 euro voucher for Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade. Give your gift of happiness to your loved ones this Christmas with a Foot Solutions gift card. Free your feet and the rest will follow. So, I'm going to play a bit of a classic Christmas song. You'll know the song, but we've left a word out. We've taken out a word, and you have to tell me what the word is. Now, if you can't get this one to start off, you probably shouldn't be let out on your own. Still, we take your text to WhatsApp with your name and the word left out to 083 396 96 96. Here we go. Oh, see, it's so easy. Do you want to have another go off it? Here we go. 
Remember, 083 396 96 96. The word and your name to 083 396 96 96. Sheila Fitzpatrick at the Alternative Bread Company. 25 years in business, Sheila. Congratulations. Thank you, PJ. Uh, you have a nice little Doesn't seem possible. You. <laughs> you know what? In these times when so many businesses and so many business people are struggling... It is fantastic to hear of someone celebrating uh, 25 years. Tuesday is the day. Tuesday, that's right. And you're doing something special at the English market. We are, yes. We've just decided, I mean, we wouldn't be anything without our customers, our loyal customers. And we've decided that to celebrate these 25 years, we want to give something back to them. So we, we thought about it and decided that... Uh, by selling the bread tomorrow at 1997 prices, that would help everybody in these tough times. That's kind of so. Cool. That's what we're going to do. That's very cool. Tell me a little bit about the history of the of the shop and the stall. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I started the business with Paul Walsh, who's from a family of bakers in in Cork City, going back several generations. And we started with some wholesale and then managed to get what we were looking for was was to have some sort of retail outlet, but particularly in the market, that's market, and to give us some cash flow when we started. Um, so we opened there in 19, November 1997, and we just had a very small stall at that stage, just less than half of what we have now. And we just grew from there. We were making all bread at that stage. We made everything ourselves. Mm. And it has expanded over the years. And we now, we now sell cakes and as well. But that we source from specialists in those areas because we're still fundamentalists. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, and, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah. very much... Can we maybe try and clean that line up, guys, because it's starting to break up, but I want to chat to Sheila for another couple of minutes. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick from the Alternative Bread Company. See if we can drop her onto a phone line there just for the second. Let's get another chat with her. The Alternative Bread Company, uh, tomorrow, the 29th, uh, they're 25 years in business at the English market, Cork's famous market, and they have decided that tomorrow they are giving back because tomorrow they will be charging for their bread the same as you would have been paying back in November of 1997. Sheila's back on three. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's that's slightly better now. So you've done all your own by hand from day one. Yes, I mean... Well, I haven't specifically. The, the Paul was the uh, the baker in the startup, and everything's been made by hand, and still is. Um, we don't do any frozen bread. We don't bake from frozen. We don't bake from frozen dough. Everything is freshly made every morning, and that's quite unusual these days. It is very unusual these days. Yeah. And where is the actual? It, it, where is the actual baking done? In Little Island now. So we've had over the years different locations, but but the majority of it comes from Little Island. 
now. So there's there's a bakery there. Uh, so it's it's very local. It's made and delivered within you know an hour or so of being coming out of the oven, which it's is fantastic. it's literally still warm sometimes. So it is. It is really. Wow. It it is coming in warm a lot of the time. So how much so, was a loaf of bread in 1997, a loaf oh, of your bestseller, say? say. How well, long is a piece of string? What is I your mean, bestseller? It's, it's, it's very hard because we still make a lot of traditional bread. So our health loaf, as we call it, our traditional bread is still as popular now as it was then and still made to the same recipe. Yeah. But we were one of the first people to make sourdoughs. And what was regarded as quite unusual in those days is just very, very normal now. I mean, it's it's very much part of the selection. Yeah, I remember I don't know. coming across sourdough for the first time and wondering, yeah. what does that mean? And the name being a little off-putting. It, it is. <laughs> and so a lot of, you know, it isn't sour, honestly, it isn't sour. Yeah, not that bread up. traditionally yeah. fermented um, years ago. It always was, um, but but so that became very popular. We were also we were making gluten free bread back in those days when it was very unusual. Well, now I tell you about that because my my boy for a few years we we had him on a mostly gluten free diet, yeah. and and getting your hands on gluten free bread was an absolute nightmare yeah. uh, in the early noughties. Um, but it, um, and, and we didn't I, even. Yeah, we didn't even. Uh, no, guys, that that line is. Sorry, when did you separate. start making it? We started making that in about 1998, yeah. and um, now we have quite a range, and we do a lot of cakes that are gluten free, and yeah. we do vegan cakes and vegetarian and lactose free, and all of these things. Okay. Because yeah, I can remember going into the alternative bread company to get bread for himself back when he was four or five years old and we were keeping everything um, gluten-free for him. This line is not cooperating with us at all. How is trade at the moment, though, Sheila, in the, the weeks coming up to Christmas? It started already. I think it started very early this year. Um, I think it's in our next... No, we're just going to have to abandon that, lads. Unfortunately, it's just appalling. Sometimes it's... You know what? You can be talking to Taiwan on a better line than you can to the English market sometimes. But uh, congratulations to the Alternative Bread Company on reaching 25 years. It's 25 years ago tomorrow, the 29th November, that they opened. And they are having everything on sale tomorrow at 1997 prices. So thanks to Sheila. And congratulations to all on that achievement. 0818 96 96 96. I don't know if you've organised your Christmas jumper day yet. We've had the date for hours. So we'll all be digging out our idiotic Christmas jumpers here at 96 FM one of these days soon. And thousands and thousands of people are doing it over the next couple of weeks to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon. The Christmas Jumper Day, you can do it at home, you can do it in work, you can do it in school, you can do it online, wherever. Because, of course, nobody wants any child to be homeless at Christmas. And hosting a Christmas Jumper Day helps to go some way towards ensuring a better future for the children of Ireland especially. You can get a fundraising pack at CorkSimon.ie and then join us at Cork's 96 of M to help to fight homelessness 
in Cork. 0818 96 96 96. It's Christmas time. Woo! Yeah. Hear your favourite Christmas hits 24-7. Turn the music up. Listen to Cork's 96 Miss. Streaming online now. Download our app or see 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. No, Jerry, I, I don't agree with you. I can't agree with you. Jerry was on. I heard what was saying there about ten o'clock about or before ten o'clock about. You know how a lot of places now are looking to talk about holiday party rather than Christmas party. Well, I, I don't really like that change, but I understand. I understand where it comes from. I still struggle with it though. Jerry then says, "I think Christmas has lost all its meaning. It's now just gluttony and drink." and spending, and there's no real meaning left. See, Jerry, I couldn't possibly disagree with you more. Just because you can drink until you fall down, just because you can eat everything inside, just because everywhere is bedecked and has parties, and we are all encouraged to go over the top, just because you can doesn't mean you have to. For me, the the loveliest part of Christmas my favourite part of Christmas is that hour, Christmas Eve. So the shops close at half past five and town empties quickly. And that couple of hours between closing time of the shops on Christmas Eve and late Christmas Eve night when things go really quiet and kids go to sleep and they're waiting for Santa. And you get to sit down and you go, That for me, and I'd sit and watch a film, have a glass of wine, and just chill. I love that, and that's so simple. You know, there's no gluttony or drink involved in that. But I do take your point, Jerry. There's a lot of it out there. You just take what you want and leave the rest. No one's forcing you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six is the number. The text or WhatsApp oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six, and the email is opinion at ninety six fm ie. But maybe you'd like to start that conversation or get involved in that conversation. Has it gone completely bananas or over the top? Is there too much? It's a month today now. Is um, Stevens's day? A month from today, Stevens's day. Have we sort of? blown Christmas out of all proportion or is it a case of you you take what you want and and leave the rest? There's nobody forcing you to go out every night. There's nobody forcing you to be drinking until you fall down seven nights a week for the next month and a half. There's nobody forcing you to do that. If if anyone forces you to do it, you force yourself to do it. Any thoughts? 0818 96 96 96. Now, I'm a celebrity finished last night. I think I watched two episodes, maybe three, and only because I was in the same room when it was on. And I like Ant and Deck. I think they're really good at what they do. They're just exceptionally good at what they do. Um, and I had been reading about the people who were in it, and the footballer, Jill Scott, everyone was saying she'd win it because of the prominence and popularity of the the women's footballers, they were kind of 
predict, kind of predicting that she would. But I don't think anybody predicted that uh, Hancock, Matt Hancock, would go as far as he did. I really don't think anybody predicted that. Did you, Joe Seward? Good morning. Good morning, uh, PJ. Yeah, that was probably the the real subplot to the whole series. Um, usually I wouldn't be a, a huge fan of it, but uh, I found myself watching mm. from the moment Matt Hancock, um, you know, the announcement that Matt Hancock would take part in the show. And, um, you know, initially it was felt that he would be one of the first people to be evicted, but um, having taken part in a number of these, you know, infamous Bush-Tucker trials early on in the series, um, gradually um, it became apparent that he was going to last the distance. And um, there was even a stage, I think, heading into the weekend when some people felt that he might be a danger to Jill Scott, who was the perceived forerunner throughout the series. But in the end, it was a predictable outcome. She won, but uh, I think the very fact that he finished third was... uh, Probably the the big story to promote oh, this year's show. Without, uh, and you said about you know how he wouldn't last very long. See the thing about it, Joe, is with I'm a celebrity. When I used to watch it, the the more people dislike, the more the public dislikes the celebrity, the the hard the, the more Bush Tucker trials they put them through. I noticed. Yeah, and I think I think he took part in maybe three three consecutive nights, and eventually. Um, maybe he got a little bit of sympathy. The sympathy factor came into play, mm. and thereafter, he, you know, he, initially even within the, the the confines of the camp, a number of the contestants weren't overly enamoured with him. One of the contestants, uh, an English comedian, described him as slimy and sneaky. But um, eventually, some of them said, "We've got to maybe distinguish between Matt Hancock, the politician, and Matt Hancock, the, the person." And I think he played a clever game as well. He explained his reasoning for entering the jungle. Uh, primarily, he felt it was maybe to highlight the whole area around dyslexia. You yes. know, he, he discovered he was dyslexic when he was uh, attending university. Yeah. And he also wanted people maybe to see the human side of Matt Hancock because maybe he'd received an awful lot of bad press for his tenure as uh, health minister in, in the UK during COVID, mm-hmm. when he, of course, was forced to resign following a breach of uh, social distancing guidelines. Yeah. Very particularly <laughs> salacious type breach. Anyway, but yeah, he and moreover, when he was put into these trials, Joe, he seems to have done really well. You were like me; you were watching it for Boy George, who isn't that likable, is he? Really, a lot of people don't like him, but he's blunt. I think he is. You get what you see on the tin with Boy George, whereas some of the other contestants were maybe playing a game or were looking to be liked or looking to be a little bit controversial. Whereas I think Boy George was Boy George throughout. And uh, something I was reading during the week, he was also the highest paid contestant in the in the history of the show, reports suggesting that he received 900,000. I think Matt Hancock got 400,000. And I think, yeah. yeah, prior to Boy George, I think the highest paid contestant had been Noel Edmonds, uh, who, who got 600K. But so Boy George, clearly the... The, the highest profile person perhaps that we've seen in the show for a while. Yeah. You you say that the public are very predictable um, as in the, we were calling it for Jill Scott very early on and the public went with that. Yeah, and I would imagine the English public in particular as we see, you know, we're in the middle of the World Cup now and, uh, you know, they're a sporting nation but they're also a nation who craves success and the very fact that the, the Lionesses brought home the Euros, something that the men have 
failed to do, you know, last year, the men beaten in the finals. I think, you know, the, these girls have enjoyed unprecedented kind of success and adulation. And it was probably evident from a long way out that Jill Scott, given her popularity because of her seniority in that panel that, you know, brought home the, the Euros, uh, it was very evident that, you know, she was going to be the winner from a long, long way out. And, um, you know, th- th- that came to fruition last night with her being crowned mm. the Queen of the Jungle. Yeah, there's a, there's a showbiz podcast that, that I listened to um, was saying that just because forgetting to the last episode makes Hancock uh, equally as big a winner as 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 Jill Scott which I think by the way I think he was making some of his some of his funds were going to a hospice and to dyslexia support because he is dyslexic and he was diagnosed as dyslexic and it was a big motivation for him to like some I no I didn't watch enough of it I I can't I can't bring myself to watch it for more than 20 minutes without wanting to leave the room screaming but some people were saying he even comes across as far more likable Away from politics, would you have agreed? Probably, probably was, and I think you know that, that that's something that he set out to achieve. Maybe you know to distinguish between Matt Hancock, the politician, and Matt Hancock, the the the, the human. And I think he's a very driven guy. I know a few years back he also um, engaged in becoming a jockey, you know, for a one-off um, ride in, in in a race in Newmarket, and went on to win the race. So I think he's a very motivated, very driven guy. Yeah. And you, you could see that through the show. And I think, as you say, gradually, you know, after the initial scepticism from some of the candidates, uh, I think he's, they started to warm to him. Yeah. And, you know, he, he showed he was very adaptable and very flexible. And maybe this environment, you know, saw him in a completely different light. I'm looking at the front page of the Irish Sun today, and it would appear that he's been spotted from certain showbiz types who think he might have a future on the television or in some form of entertainment when he leaves politics, which could be interesting. Joe, thank you very much. Joe Seward. Um, Matt Hancock, I, I, you couldn't say you like him after watching I'm a Celeb, but don't like any of them. It's the only two I actually consistently like are Ant and Deck. The rest of it is just torture, but it is what it is. And Jill Scott was predicted to win. And she won. 0818 96 96 96. I think we've lost our way with Christmas, says Tom. It used to be a pagan feast celebrating a sun god. The, the, the Celts worshipped the sun. Then Christians changed it to a celebration of Christ. People now celebrate with booze and food without any reference to religion. God, you're going back in your history there, Tom. But it's true. What we now call Christmas was initially a pagan feast many, 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 many moons ago. And then we made a Christian feast out of it, and it's a Christian celebration the world over. I still take a certain amount of it. I'm not a... I'm by no means am I a... a card-carrying, mass-going good guy, but um, I certainly see the spiritual element of Christmas... Um, for years I used to go, always, always go to Midnight Mass. I wouldn't miss it for years and years and years. Now that Midnight Mass is no longer at midnight, uh, it, it's gone. The, the, the luster has gone from it for me because I think it has to be at midnight. So what I did last year, I'll tell you what I did last year. Midnight Christmas Eve, they were all gone to bed and I went into the TV room and I sat and I watched Midnight Mass from I think it was Birmingham Cathedral. And I watched Midnight Mass and, and I, you know, prayed along with it. 
Because um, to me, there is a spiritual element and it's important to remember that. 0818 96 96 96. Keep that one going if you want to. Our attitudes to, to Christmas. I think it is what you make of it. There's all that, all that craziness is out there. All of it is out there. But you can make it very simple and very ordinary and very nice as well. It is what you make of it. It is what you take of it. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, we've chatted many times uh, over the past couple of years with people who've gone for gastric surgery, in particular people who've gone to Turkey for gastric surgery and, and how they felt they needed to go, why they went, how they were afterwards... And for the most part, it seems to work out just fine. And people are really happy when they come back and they get on with their life. But there's also been some warnings in the last while that, look, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's certainly not a matter of just looking up a clinic on Facebook, booking a flight and going out and getting sorted. And it's certainly not as simple as you go out, you have your surgery and life goes on like you never had a weight problem. Never. And that's that's not true. And one woman who is helping people with that because she went through it herself is Delia. Delia now lives in Atlanta, Georgia, originally from Dublin, but she is campaigning online for people to learn more before they commit. And now, Delia, you, you, your surgery worked out. You are very well now, and, and the weight loss has been great. But you, you're making a point that it is not as easy as people think. Um, your health is good, though. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Um. Yeah. I had. I had a very interesting journey with my weight loss surgery, but I'm in good health now and very happy. Let's start with why you decided to have the surgery in the first place and why you decided to travel to Turkey. For me, it was mainly because of my health. I was twenty-five and a half stone. And my dad has a heart condition called cardiomyopathy. And I was just afraid that I might carry the gene and I didn't want to develop it. So if you're overweight, you're at higher risk of developing cardiomyopathy and also diabetes. I just knew the risk factors involved with me being overweight. And it honestly, I just wanted to be healthy for myself and give myself the best the best opportunity I could. Had your problems maintaining your weight, Delia? So my whole life, I have, I've always struggled with my weight. I've always been, even as a kid, I was always bigger than the other kids my age. And even when I wasn't overweight, I thought I was overweight. Yeah. But then it got to a point during COVID where I developed a thing called binge eating disorder so I was battling with an eating disorder and because I was obese Mm. people weren't aware that you can be overweight and have an eating disorder and like your BMI 
doesn't correlate with your mental health, like your what's going on in your head when it comes to eating disorders. Sure. People think you have to look a certain way to have an eating disorder and that's not the case. So for me, that was a huge reason I had like went to my doctor and I spoke about my struggles with food. I had a very unhealthy relationship with food Mm. and it was emotional eating and binge eating disorder basically is what I was diagnosed with. So I went and got help for that and it was the best thing I ever did. And then the surgery really helped me get my weight under control. So you brought the disorder under control separately and then you needed to get rid or you wanted to get rid of the weight after that. Was that it? Yes. Yes. I did a year of therapy before surgery because the surgery is not a quick fix. And this is something that I think people really need to understand before making the decision to have weight loss surgery. It's probably the best thing I've ever done. But I did my research for about a year. I spoke to so many people who had gone through the the surgery. I had gastric bypass surgery and that was what my doctor in Ireland had recommended for me. Yeah. But it's definitely a very individualized journey for each person and understanding the possible side effects and complications that can arise afterwards as well. And the decision to travel, Delia, rather than have it done at home, you you had insurance, I think, that would have covered you here, but... Yes. But why did you travel then? Why the decision to travel? So for me, I went to the Blackrock Clinic and I was put on the waiting list there. My insurance was covering it. Well, I had to pay a smaller amount compared to what you would have to pay. But it was the same price if I went abroad. So I waited on the waiting list for a year and then then they said that the waiting list was just so long that it was going to be another possibly six to eight months. And at that point, I was really just concerned for my health. I didn't have another six to eight months. I was afraid I was going to develop diabetes because I had a lot of visceral fat. So... I decided then, I had seen a lot of people go abroad, go to Turkey, and it had been something I thought about, but my I wanted to stay at home and get it done in Ireland yeah, and go where I know. But unfortunately... The wait was just too long, yeah? The wait was too long. So the pros of going abroad outweighed the cons for me. And I went to Turkey, and I wish I could have stayed in Ireland... I really do because the aftercare, I think, is one of the most important things. Mm. Mm. So you you did your research. You you have a friend who lives out there. So and you talked, I think, to other people who had the surgery. Did you? Oh yes, I talked to so many people about their journeys, about their stories, asking the good, the bad, and the ugly, like what surgeons they went with, what they could eat how it impacted their mental health because that's something a lot of people don't necessarily talk about is yes you lose a massive amount of weight like I've lost almost 12 stone Wow! and it's yes I can look a certain way but it's so much more than that it really can be a journey for your mental health yeah so you went and you had the, the surgery and how soon 
afterwards, Delia? How soon after the surgery did you realise all wasn't right? So for me, I had two oh no moments where I knew not everything was okay. So initially, I came out of surgery and when I woke up after surgery, my stepmom and I went to Turkey together. Okay. And my stepmom had the gastric sleeve and I had the gastric bypass. She went down before me to the surgery um, I came back she was already kind of waking up from her anesthesia I woke up and I was in excruciating pain I was screaming like I'll never forget it I was just screaming in so much pain but it wasn't my stomach it was my leg your leg yeah so basically somehow I had nerve damage in my right leg from during the surgery I still don't fully understand everything that happened right. because unfortunately the language barrier was a, a big factor for me going to Turkey I'd never got the full story I was screaming for pain meds and I was screaming just let me die like just let me die I was sobbing about three months it took for my leg to fully heal you don't fully know what happened, did you? You think a nerve was damaged. That's as much as you could find out, yeah? Yeah, like I thought I had a blood clot because I was 25 and a half stone. I'm a high risk candidate for blood clots. And I thought, okay, maybe it's a blood clot. And I was asking, please, can you do a Doppler? It's a type of um, ultrasound to yeah. check to see if I had a blood clot. And they didn't understand what I was saying. And basically I was fighting for like two days um, trying to get this particular ultrasound so that we could rule things out because they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. It was very scary. There was a communication problem, obviously, yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So you got home, and I think your doctor here at home then looked after you, did he? So I had my surgery June 2021, and um, then in August, I moved to America. So when I, in America, then I went to a physician here, a doctor, checked in and everything was looking good. Got my bloods done. I was vitamin D deficient. I needed to just kind of get on top of my vitamins because that is something that after having surgery, you will be on vitamins and supplements for the rest of your life. And that's something I knew and I understood. So then fast forward to August I had had quite high restriction after surgery, but it got to a point then in August where I couldn't eat any food without it coming back up. I couldn't drink any fluids without it coming back up. But honestly, I thought that was normal. I had kind of gotten through the beginning f stages and lost a lot of weight. And at this point then, I was like, okay, this is normal. I thought that this is what everyone goes through because I had never heard of anybody having a stricture before. So I went to the hospital here in Atlanta, Georgia. Basically, I said to my mom, I need you to take me to the emergency room. I said, something's wrong. Yeah. And I, I just had a feeling in myself. I knew, I was like, something's wrong. I went to the hospital, they did bloods, and I was severely malnourished. Mm -hmm. And... The pain, I was having really bad abdominal pain, but I thought that was normal. I had had that the whole time, but I thought that was normal. And then 
they found that I had a stricture. So I had basically developed scar tissue around where my small intestine and my stomach were connected. Okay. So nothing was getting through. So this was like a, like a blockage post-surgery, a, yeah? Yeah, a blockage. So they had to call in a, a specialized gastroenterologist and he then placed in a stent. So it's like a little tube, yeah. basically. If you imagine like a little pipe and that basically held the scar tissue open. I see. When, yeah, but I'm so lucky that I was in America when that happened because I have hearing and I'm actively like at the moment talking to a girl who's in Dublin. I don't even know where she reached out on social media and she's going through the exact same thing. But the the level of care that I got here is very different to the level of care being provided back home. So how are you now? That was October. This is a year on, I guess, over a year on now. How are you, how are you doing? I am doing really well. I'm feeling really good. My energy levels are amazing. I had um, bad liver function when I was like pre-surgery. I had fatty Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now my liver function is like perfect it's back to what it should be my kidney function was also low before I had surgery now my kidneys are perfect so for me everything I went through it was very tough very traumatic at times mm. but to see the weight loss and how that's really positively impacted my quality of life now I would do it all again yeah I think your message though to people listening is we hear so much about Turkey and so many people do go there. But you're telling us a cautionary tale, I think, Delia, that, you know, it, it yeah. can be a rough road to recovery. It can. And that's it. It's like, if this is for you, think about the decision, understand all the factors before going through with it, because it is very easy to decide to just go. But it's also a massive surgery. You're altering your body. 
and there is risk factors mm. and possible complications that can arise with having any surgery, no matter where you go, Ireland or Turkey. But if you fully understand everything that possibly can arise, I think, and the pros still outweigh the cons, yeah, that's when it's it's for you, you know, and it's really just knowing and being comfortable with the process and talking to people who have gone through it yeah, because it's so important mentally to keep yourself strong because it is a very mentally challenging time mm-hmm. the first year. And, and it is a fix, yes, but it's not a quick fix. It can be difficult afterwards as it was in your case. Yeah, well, for me, I think weight loss surgery is more so a tool. So it's a tool to help you with weight loss, but it's not going to fix the problems. Like for me, I had an eating disorder. Um, Getting part of my stomach removed will not change that because my eating disorder was in my head. It's my mental health. Yes. So understanding that you need to deal with those issues before surgery or after surgery, if that's your like what works best for you, but understanding that there's head hunger understanding that you need to relearn how to eat essentially your portions you have to unlearn certain habits that you have had for the last how many years of your life you used a term there Delia that I've not heard before head hunger what's that yeah that's that's a huge one so head hunger basically is when we are so like I was so used to eating a certain portion a certain size and I would look at my plate now post-op and it's smaller. And I would, it's, have you heard the term like your eyes are bigger than your stomach? Yes, I have. So yeah. it, it's kind of like that. I would still think I'm hungry, but my body would be full. So it's understanding that just because you didn't eat the same amount of food that you once did before, you can still be full. Yes. So head hunger is a real thing that people experience after surgery. That's a term I've never heard, but I think it puts it very, very well, head hunger. Yeah, and it's unlearning those behaviours that we've learned and lived with. So it, it is it is a challenge. It's definitely a challenge and it's not easy. And there are times where you think, what have I done? You Like after surgery... The first month, I was like, what have I done? But then as time goes on, you just take it day by day. You lean on your good support system. Thankfully, I was lucky. I had a great support system around me. And then you start to see the weight loss and you start to feel better in yourself. You see your health improving. And that's what reminds you, okay, this is why I did it. I did it to live a healthier life. I did it to hopefully live longer. Yeah. Is is Atlanta home now? Um, for the moment, <laughs> for the moment, yeah, but I'll be back in Ireland for two months in January and February and then back to Atlanta for another little bit and I'm lucky I'm a dual citizen so I can kind of come and go. Great, thankfully. yeah, yeah. Are you working over there? What's the story? I am, yeah. I, um, I work with people with disabilities here and I also have a social media marketing company here. Give it a shameless plug. Go on. <laughs> O'Malley Media Group. <laughs> O'Malley That's Media it. Group. Well, for telling me your story and telling it so well, I think we can afford a plug for O'Malley Media Group. Delia, I wish you continued good health. Thank you. Your story's been really fascinating to listen to, so thank you for being with me. 
Thank you. And if anybody, can I give a shameless plug on my Instagram? Because if anybody is going through a tough time post-op, like after having surgery, reach out to me. It's really important to have people to talk to and know that you're, you know, it does get better. Right. So my Instagram, it's as Delia does. As Delia does. Great talking to you, Delia. Thank you. Thank you so much, PJ. Have a great day. Cheers, you too. Yeah, yeah, that's Delia in Atlanta, Georgia, where, by the way, it is sunny and warm coming up to Christmas. 0818969696. Actually, just I should have read this before uh, going to Delia, but this is a, a warning came out from the Department of Foreign Affairs recently where it would appear there have been a number of deaths due to complications following uh, weight loss surgery in in Turkey. A woman died a week or two ago. She was in her 30s, came from West Dublin. Her family still trying to deal with the aftermath of that. The, of course, Department of Foreign Affairs helps in those situations. There was also a woman back in April, a lady from County Washford. She died after undergoing a procedure. And a man from County Louth uh, passed away after flying to Turkey for dental treatment, an emergency procedure in Istanbul. He took uh, ill afterwards. And it's called medical tourism. It happens all over the world. You can do it, and it works out for many, 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 many people. But you're you're also warned to be to be mindful of the pitfalls, to be very mindful of the pitfalls. And what gets people there faster, and why people go, is because of the the, the length of time it takes here to get on a on a program to get the operation that you want. That's why people go. But sometimes it gets complicated. So the Department of Foreign Affairs just advising people to be aware of the dangers and the setbacks and there's Delia with a fabulous story and she's the first one to say look it worked out for me I'm in great shape I've lost 12 it's not the whole person I've lost 12 stone I'm in great shape but it hasn't been easy she had that thing in her stomach called a stricture and she also had the awful pain in her leg and she doesn't quite know what happened to this day but she's on the mend now and she's in good form 0818969696. Now, Friday we took a call from a mum who's upset because her child is being sent home from school. And she was chatting to Fergal for a while and wanted to air her views. We're quite happy to talk to her on the radio. But unfortunately, she hung up without giving us a number. So if you're listening and could come back to us. Oh, it was Richard you were talking to. Thank you. It was Richard you were talking to on Friday. Um, we finished the call. We didn't get a number from you. So if if you are listening, give us a shout back and we'll pursue the matter as best we can with you. 0818 96 96 96. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with the latest in Cork's entertainment. The Love Buzz are a power trio from Cork, bouncing between indie, psychedelic, punk and rock. Their sound is eclectic and ever-changing. Their next hometown show is on December 10th at Cypress Avenue with tickets on sale now. 
Dirty Dancing comes to Cork next summer for the first time following a season at London's Dominion Theatre. Seen by millions across the globe, this worldwide smash hit tells the classic story of Baby and Johnny with tickets now on sale from Cork Opera House at corkoperahouse.ie Access all areas. If you have a gig, show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the coming weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can reach us on AAA at 96fm.ie Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 96FM. It's that time of year again. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'll stop, PJ, stop. Yeah, the Panto Gang are back at the Everyman, and they've been putting a huge show together, which will be unveiled at the weekend. Glamour and gags and song and dance and magic and mayhem at Cork's traditional Panto, Cinderella, and runs until January 15th. This Friday... We have a free Panto Friday on Cork's 96FM. Family passes to give away every hour. And uh, everyman.com for more information. And stay listening to win this Friday. This Friday all day with Cork's 96FM when we do free Panto Friday. 0818 96 96 96. I've got a thing in front of me here. So uh, someone looking to get a driving test. And they went to apply for their driving test this month. So this month being November. And the earliest they could get, now applying for Skibbereen, the earliest they could get was the week commencing the 16th of, not January, not February, April. So November, December, January, February. Five, five months and that's for Skibbereen, and Skibbereen used to be the place where you'd got it fairly quickly. Independent TD for Cork Northwest, Michael Collins, uh, joins me. He's on the line. Is he? He's okay. Um, Michael, five months for a driving test. Sure, you can't take a job. You can't do nothing with that kind of a wait. Morning. It's just, uh, good morning, uh, PJ. It's a shocking situation that the people of uh, Cork Southwest find themselves in. Um, and, and to be honest with you, people of Cork as well, because people from Cork uh, come down and, and do their driving test. They feel com- more comfortable with Skibreen, that's fair enough, wherever they feel more comfortable with. But we'd expect to get a, a driving test, surely be to God, within six, four, five, six weeks, surely. But uh, the situation, and, and I've raised this in the doll with the T-shirt last week, um, the situation is that uh, in the Skibreen test centre, you had uh, two full-time uh, testers, probably others feeding into it as well, but mainly two full-time testers. One left uh, a month ago and one is to leave now again in December. Now, uh, uh, I asked a very clear question. Number one, uh, is, is this test centre stay, staying open? The RSA has said, yes, it is staying open. But no, at the same time, people that, that applied for a test two weeks ago were told in Skibreen they'd have a test in, in three months. Now they've been told, even up until last Friday, to, to, to the April before they'll have a test. So it's gone from three months to five months. Three is long enough to be quite honest with you, PJ. But to go to five months, um, or sorry, two, months, two to three months extra is an extraordinary situation and it's quite unacceptable to be quite honest. Be- bearing in mind that someone on a provisional licence is strictly forbidden these days from driving without a- an authorised or a fully qualified driver. So it means that young people, this is, I think this is particularly hard on young people, they can't take up jobs. They can't drive to college. And if you're down there in West Cork, you know, with all due respect to West Cork, you're a distance from anywhere. 
You are because you're talking about people coming from the Bearer Peninsula, the Mistenhead Peninsula, the Sheepshead Peninsula. But as I said to you, Cox, anybody in the yeah. Shannon, Bandon, Town County. But the issue here is people, are, like, you know, they may look at an alternative testing centre, they may look at Killarney, they may look at Cork. That's going to flood Cork, it's going to flood Killarney with the West Cork applications now coming down on top of them if this situation is left continue here. So what I'm saying, and, and as well as that, you know, if, if, if somebody has to go for a driving test, a young person, doesn't mean young people we're talking about here, their parent has to go with them. So it's a day, you know, if you go to Skibreen, it's probably an, an hour in, an, an hour happening, and an hour home. Mm. But in that situation, you go to Cork, Killarney, it's a, it's a whole day for a, for a parent and for a, for a child alike, and it's mm. very, very unfair. And all I'm looking for is they're saying absolute nonsense, apparently, it was carried in one of the papers, PJ, saying, I'm talking nonsense, basically. But RSA had not come back and said to me, have they, are they going to have full-time uh, testers in the Skibbereen Test Centre? And that's not the carry. They're giving the, they're clarifying, they're keeping the centre open, but you can keep the centre open and live it run one week in the month. That's not going to, that's not going to work here. And, and, the, and the RSA have got to come clear here. And I got heavy criticism on the political circle uh, from a senator in West Cork completely uh, saying that I was uh, giving out about something that isn't happening. This is factual. Well, well, hold on a while now. I don't know who said that to you, Michael, but this, it was on Facebook, I saw this. This is actual, someone trying to book a test and they're, the date they got, it's a screenshot, the date they got was the week commencing of the 16th of April 2023. So why would anybody tell you it's not happening or try to? I, I, that's what I can't understand. It was brought up in the Senate last week that I was kind of scared. The facts are the facts. And people are coming to me, People, the, the people in the know as such, and parents saying, this is what's after happening. There's an incredible increase in, in, in the length of time to get uh, a driving test in Skibbereen. And if the RSA come out and have it rectified by the 1st of January, I'd be the first to come out and welcome that, PJ. But at this present time, that is not uh, sorted for the people of you know, the whole area was Cork, whether you're from Ballinine or Bantry or Skibbereen itself, this is a huge blow. And if there's any downgrading of the service, which looks like there is, because obviously they don't have testers when they're gone from two to three months to five five months at the moment, hopefully not any longer, it means that people are moving, you know, that going and, you know, when people go into Skibbereen, they have a day doing a bit of shopping and doing a bit of, so it's a bit of a loss to the local businesses as well. And also, the driving instructors who are doing some excellent work through West Cork to train people, to bring them up to a standard. And mm. obviously, when you're brought up to a standard, then you're, that same person has to wait uh, six months because they won't apply for it, only that they're ready to go as such. And then they have to sit back and, 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 and sit back for five or six months. Mm. And that is totally, totally unacceptable. There's another complication that you might not have thought of, Michael, or at least you didn't mention. If your provisional runs out between now and that date. So, for example, if that person's provisional were running out in March, they actually can't do a driving test. That's another issue that, like you said, I haven't really uh, taken into account, but it is a very serious issue, of course. If you get so another like, one, they see, and they'll say to you, well, I can't, you can't have another one because you haven't done a driving test. I can't get a bloody driving test. And the whole thing is, is, is a complete mess at this present moment, PJ. The system that was there was working, and, and people were happy with it. Uh, I can't understand how the RSA have come out and dismissed this. They should come clear. I've asked them very, very specific questions to a parliamentary. Questions haven't replied to me yet, other than saying the centre is staying open.
That's all they're that's the only thing they're saying and, and that we're creating a hysteria over nothing. But the bottom line is people are coming back to me saying their their tests are gone on now for five to six months. There's something serious amiss here and we're not getting straight answers. It's obvious it's a staffing issue. It's mm-hmm. obviously our aim is to appoint full time testers at Skibbereen, no questions asked. Some people are from Skibbereen that are full time testers are working in uh, in Cork City and places so maybe they should be redeployed. It isn't for me to say that as such. Uh, uh, but at least some solution has to be found here and not to leave young people that are desperately requiring a test five to six months waiting for one. All right, Michael, thank you. That's uh, Michael Collins, Independent TD for Cork Southwest. So it's taking five months, at least in the case highlighted, five months to get a booking for a driving test in West Cork. I don't know what it takes now out in Wilton. Um, It's... My daughter did a driving test a few years ago. That's the last connection we had with the place. Um, I don't know how long it takes to get a driving test out in out in Wilton or any other place. So if you are trying to get a test at the moment, what? how long is it taking? Five months seems utterly, utterly stupid and ridiculous. Like, what if your licence runs out between now and then? You can't take up a job that you have to drive to because you can't have your mom or dad going to work with you every day. Similar with college, people can't go to college because they can't drive to college. How long is it taking to get into, say, the the centre in in Wilton at the moment? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Come back to some of our Christmas comments. Kate says, and I, I I agree with you here, Kate. Kate, you make up your own mind and you do your own thing. I wouldn't be into all the excess extravagance and materialism, but if other people are, sure, what harm? It doesn't really affect me. Jerry, you were the one who came back to me on this and saying it's gone mad altogether. Good morning. No, it's the general spirit, not individually speaking, no. Okay. Overall, general. Hello? Yes, Hello? yes, yes. Fire yeah. away. And it's the general spirit of it. I'm not talking about individually, no. But it, it shouldn't be. I mean, the amount of excessive drinking and excessive eating and the messing around Stephen's day is appalling. And the general, the general, the spirit of it is a, a Mardi Gras or a Notting Hill festival. You know, there's no Christianity in it, really. And that's that's for more generally speaking, you know, not individually speaking. There are people right. who would be very um, uh, uh, religious, who who would have a quieter and more 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 uh, silent Christmas. But you go down Washington Street now on Stephen's Day, and it'll be all drinks and vandalism and fights, and it's it's a time for. Disruption in a lot of cases, but compared to 50 years ago now, or 40, or 30, or even 20 years ago, mm. it's, it's changed gigantically. Yeah. You know, it, it, and I mean, I was at midnight mass last year. Now, I go to mass maybe about once a month, but but um, at night it was nine o'clock. Because half the people in there were drinking giddy. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, it was ludicrous, really, that they were in there at all. I mean, that, that's what had me giving up on midnight them. mass. You see, Jerry, yeah. that I gave up yeah. on midnight mass because it was at nine o'clock or ten o'clock. Because me, midnight, midnight is midnight, but that's just the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, but even at nine o'clock, like even at that, I mean, they're coming in. They shouldn't have been in there, really. If you're not interested in Christianity, don't bother following. I'm, I'm a non-Christian, like. And I, 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 I would show more respect for Christmas than the people who call themselves Christians, really. I, 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 I'd have me drink and I'd have me, me food, don't get me wrong, or presents, which I love giving out. Sure. But I, I wouldn't like to think, I'm, I'm not excessive with the eating or the drinking, sure. maybe a small bit. But you, but you I, feel I, that the overall spirit is, is different to, to that which you remember? 
different and terrible. I would please the overall spirit is and I'm not speaking for every individual now, obviously, but the overall yeah. spirit is terrible, really. Speaking as a non Christian now, like I, I, I think I think it, 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 it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a hypocrisy, really, and it's a bit a bit um, what's the word for it now? Um, uh, just, uh, just wrong, you know. It, they're doing the opposite of what they should be doing. Okay. You know, it, right. it, 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 it's a shame, really. Okay, it's it's a more overall point than than how I interpreted your original message. Thank you very much. That's Jerry. He reckons it's the spirit is gone, not the individual way that we have of enjoying Christmas. It's just the overall spirit he makes the reference to Stephen's Day downtown or any other nice Saturday night or Friday night in the run-up to Christmas downtown. Drunkenness and fighting. No, you see that in July too, but drunkenness and fighting and just general missing that the spirit, the actual general spirit is not what it was. What do you think? We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. Happy holidays. With your local mace, savings with a smile, all through the Christmas season. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I wasn't going to mention this because the programme is kind of about the listeners and the contributors and the callers, not necessarily about me, but if you'll indulge me for less than a minute I I want to thank everybody for their lovely messages I've had hundreds of messages and comments on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and God knows where else and some personal messages as well um, to the radio station Saturday night I was co-host with Miriam McCallaghan I was co-host of the Business Cork annual Remy Remy Martin Business Cork Business Awards 17th annual. I've done it a few times. Uh, I love uh, hosting that event. It's a, it's a great positive night celebrating the best of business in Cork City and County. But on Saturday night, at the end of it all, when everything was done and dusted and we presented all the awards, I was very, very pleasantly taken aback to be presented with an award for 40 years in broadcasting. I started messing around behind a microphone in September of 1982 and I was revealed this I realised it more revealed it when I was talking to the two Naris on their podcast earlier in the autumn and this turns up on Saturday night at the Remy Martin Cork Business Awards presented by Business Cork they gave me this wonderful award for 40 years of broadcasting and I'm so thankful to the judges and to the judging panel and the organisers for that and to all of you for your lovely kind messages over the uh, weekend. It's been it's been fa- fabulous, very humbling, very humbling. It's lovely to know that people like what you do. They might give out stink about you, but they like what you do at the end of the day and, um, and I'm proud. And this whole business, you know, it's given me a job, it's given me a living. Um, it's let me get away with doing this for a very, very long time, but it's also given me a second family, um, friends that I will treasure uh, for years, forever, friends that I have for years and tre- will treasure forever, and it's given me adventures and fun, 
and it's taken me halfway around the world and back. So, yeah. It's been a blast and we'll keep going for as long as I can get away with it. All right. 0818-969696. On driving test, my son applied in late October. Hasn't been given a date yet. Told to expect around February. That was for St. Finbar's testing centre. Yeah, there's a lot of waiting going on there. Okay. I have a book. Now, writing a book on climate change these days is kind of ten a penny. I've even thought about doing it myself. No, I haven't. I'm missing. Greta Thunberg, for example, has a book out which is selling in 40-foot truckloads and pretty much everyone who's anyone is either writing of, has written, or thinking about writing a book on climate change. In my hand, I have a copy of a book called Climate Warrior, as opposed to Climate Warrior. Subtitle, A Hypocrite's Guide to Saving the Planet. It's written by, by Colm O'Regan, who joins me. Colm, good morning. Good morning. I, I can't believe, PJ, I'm I'm coming on after your fortieth. Uh, talking about your forty, talking about climate change. What a way to bring the to bring the mood down. I'm sorry. I'd rather I'd rather talk about you and your forty years. I'm looking at a picture of you here with uh, Miriam. You look all proud, and it's very handy on those occasions that Remy Martin Fine Champagne Cognac are sponsoring the awards. It wasn't my waddy. So that was a good. That was a good bit. A good bottle. To get. My waddy or tenor. Yeah, Colin. Listen. Yeah, and thank you for that. Very kindly. Um. Climate, you, you had a show before you had a book about climate worrying. Sort, yeah, they're sort of in parallel. It's something I've been kind of, well, obviously worrying about, but uh, I'm kind of mulling over the whole issue. And it's obviously bad news that the world and his mother are writing a book about this because uh, <laughs> I was hoping to carve out a niche for myself. But no, it's it, I think it's reflected. Everybody's kind of worrying about it, kind of thinking about it. Mm. And for me, it's a personal book because it's sort of, it's a bit about my father, who was, who was a farmer, and uh, me and me living in the city and from the country. And I think there's, I, I'd like to think there's a good few people like me are overwhelmed by the bad news who care. Yes. But sometimes caring is like, you know yourself in your own job, you, you hear so many people's worries. Taking on the cares of the world is a burden. And that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be able to do anything about them. So this is sort of my way of writing a funny book about, you know, thinking about all of this, trying to find a way to do your bit, trying to find a way to navigate between all the arguing and, you know, the shouting on both sides um, in a way that maybe is, bit, is can be productive because we're, we're obsessed with debate, you know. Mm, writing, like, writing I won funny, that debate. Writing a funny book about something like claiming, and it is very funny. I howled a few good. times and I recognised oh, myself in those pages, yeah, do you know, but it's also a risky one, Colin, because, and I'm say this without, and I will be, I'll be slaughtered for it. A lot of the climate change campaigning and a lot of climate change activists are very poor faced, and and we shouldn't laugh, and we shouldn't have fun. Is almost banned. Do you, why are you laughing? The world is burning. Like, yeah. So you I, take I, on I, that I, challenge. I take on that challenge, and I think. Out of, I would never, like, people who do the hard yards in anything, right? You know, people who campaign on climate change, people who campaign looking for better things for carers. Like, if you're campaigning on a serious thing, like, literally, all your energy can, all you can do is try and raise awareness of it. Do you know what I mean? So you really have, you might have the time or the capacity to be fun about it. So I don't, I never blame anybody for the pole facedness. That's why I'm not 
instead of that campaign. I'm just chipping in from my side, which is mm. the kind of the because what's look what's funny about a serious thing? It's the serious thing isn't funny. What's funny about it is our reactions to it, our attempts to try and do something about it, or or getting it wrong. You know, like we've like we've had two and a half years of in various forms of pandemic. When people make humor out of it, they're not making humor out of the serious thing. They're making humor out of our reactions about saying I my bins go up more than I do. You know what I mean? That's mm. not so that doesn't so I think and the thing is about like uh look being climate change is sort of about or doing something about climate change or anything in the area of green is about doing, you know, in inverted commas, the right thing. And of course, that's never funny. Like who was the funniest fella or girl you remember in school? It wasn't the person who got everything right. It was the messer, you know. So like humor in itself is subversive and shouldn't go with a serious topic. But I'm I think there's room because mm. the the weirdest trick ever played by uh, the likes of, you know, the people who want to do nothing about climate change was somehow convincing the world that they were anti-establishment. <laughs> the weirdest trick that, uh, you know, the fossil fuel industry ever did was saying, oh, we're the we're the iconoclasts. We're we're the rebels here. And it's like, no, you're not. You've got trillions of dollars. <laughs> so nobody with trillions is ever is ever funny or the rebel in my view. So so I'm trying to find that gap between the people who do the hard yards, the activists who are tired and doing their best and maybe don't always come across, they might come across as pole-faced. Fine, I never, I won't criticize them for that. But I'm helping from what I, listen, listen all I know how to do, PJ, I know how to do two things. I know how to pick up rubbish and I know how to try to make people laugh. And I have a degree in nothing else. <laughs> if you know the, what I mean, that's, that's useful. The rubbish, so, I think we can all, like we're all yeah. doing our bit. I know certainly yeah. in, in our house, we are recycling and we are far more careful than we yeah. were even two, three or four years ago. Yeah. But and you yeah. wonder, Go is ahead. that any use? Like I'm being care. I'm sorting out milk cartons and yeah. I'm making sure that everything goes in the right bin. And, and I'm looking at, at China pumping out more pollutants in a day than we will in our entire lifetime. I know. And that's, look, look, so that's the kind of thing that weighs on all of us. So there's a couple of things on that. One, like, a, it's a big debate about, like, you know, the personal responsibility and, oh, oh, try and be good versus, you know, one one oligarch's yacht looking for a better parking place in Monaco, <laughs> let alone China, will probably outweigh that. So the the first thing is, per, the first thing you say is, right, Personal responsibility is not necessarily for me anyway. It's not about like, I'm going to do my bit and then that's it. It's more in trying to do a bit, you become more aware of the bigger things going on and perhaps more likely to join in with something else and other people who are doing a bit as well. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, that sounds a bit vague, but I'll give you an example. Like years ago, 10 years, so my father used to pick up rubbish around Dripsy, around that'll mm. be thrown over the ditches. So I, I find it hard to walk past rubbish, right? Mm-hmm. That's in me, right? That's, and so in my local area in, in, in Dublin, because I couldn't make, it, couldn't make a go of it in Cork, so I had to move to Dublin, sorry. Uh, mm. <laughs> I, uh, so I pick up a bit of rubbish with, with friends and neighbours. And what good does that do, right? Well, it doesn't do any good for climate change, but 80% of the rubbish in the sea comes from land. So every bit of rubbish you pick up on the land is rubbish that would have ended up in the sea. That's the first thing. So you're doing your tiny bit there to stop a hunky-dory's wrapper ending up inside in a, 
a, a turtle's gullet, right? That's mm. the first thing, even though it's tiny. The second thing is the people you meet when you're doing those little bits because you're open to ideas or whatever are people who tell you about other things and they tell you about, you know, there's a shop down the road. Oh, I didn't know about that. There's a shop down the road where you can get your your porridge flakes and your flour and your this by bringing in your carton. So you've less you've less packaging and then you've less in going into your recycling. You've less to recycle because you don't use it in the first place. And then, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had a few... So we ended up planting trees around the area in the middle of a city, right? In corners, mm. in people's gardens. So I wouldn't have done that. Only I was starting by not being able to walk past an empty can of monster cola on the street and it's it's kind of so the personal stuff is kind of a gateway thing and there's a a lot of reference in the book to your father actually a lot of of talk about it because he was a farmer and he farmed the old way yeah and and he looked after the environment on the one hand he was careful about nature like any farmer is any farmer is careful about nature but on the other hand the way that they did farming back then was the complete opposite. Burning, burning yeah. oil barrels and tons <laughs> yeah, of fertilizer, know, yeah. and yeah. you know, now yeah. if, now if sure someone sees you cutting a hedge, you 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 could I be know. hung, drawn, and quartered. Back then, they did it to clear the well, edges. Well, well, the thing is, you wouldn't be hung, drawn, and quartered. It'd be about a three-year wait, and then you get a fine. Like it's not it, the thing is, it's people think they're going to be hung, drawn. Nobody's getting hung, drawn and quartered <laughs> as it happens. But but the thing is, the, the reason I write about my father is like he loved planting trees and he's from the generation that watched Dutch elm disease yes. tear the heart out of ditches. And, and now we're looking at the same thing with the ash dieback, which is happening because we brought, we imported wood, you know, that we shouldn't have. And like every ditch in the country is going to be bare regardless of who does it because all the trees are, are going. But anyway, not to depress people too much. But so so he's a fellow who went, he took six flights in 84 years of his life. He planted trees, but he couldn't abide weeds. And he was, you know, handy enough with the, the Roundup and the Gramoxone. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, so I'm there all worried and conscious, but I probably have taken, you know, I've obviously taken more flights than he has. We all have things that we do mm. that are, Good in one area, not good in another area, and it's it's about I suppose the confidence to expand on the things we do, not feel terrible shame about the things we don't do, but get help maybe. Mm-hmm. And look, sure, I know like we have a look. There's eight billion people on the planet; they have to be fed somehow. Modern farming has enabled people to live beyond a certain age and be around, and it's not going to go overnight. And all this kind of thing. And this isn't a book about that it's more about trying to come to terms with the the enormity of it without your head absolutely exploding, exploding. Yes. because because I'll give another example like you know you talk you talk about people who have to change in a big way and are being told and are doing it to a lot of the degree particularly in in the area of food like I had two years where I wasn't allowed to do my job because of a global crisis right yes. you know I wasn't allowed to do it in the same way and the reason I didn't go mad about it was there was a bit of money put aside to help me through it. There were alternative ways of doing the work and and, and an end in sight, right? But at the same time, you did get that feeling of unfairness. How come I have to not be allowed to go onto a comedy club or go on a stage for the benefit of people I don't know? But we all kind of did it, you know? Yes. And in some ways, doing a bit about this, and I know I'm being vague and saying doing a bit because I'm not, a, I'm not an ecologist or whatever, but 
is about that whole, look, it's it's a sac- sacrifice and we have to try a bit in order to help people we'll never meet. And sometimes those people, PJ, are people in the future, you know? Like, we spend so much time worrying about our children will have enough points for college, you know, and the future, hope they'll be able to get a house. And we don't do anything about will the house they're in be flooded or mm. will the water be, you know, and I know that seems more vague, but even thinking about that helps you decide, no, it is worth doing something now. You know, it is p- putting some stitches in now might save some for our children yes. and maybe not our children, but our grandchildren, you know, so, and that all sounds huge and big and a bit heavy for a Monday, a, gr- a grey Monday morning. But I do think that even in trying to write a funny book and giving people a way into it that doesn't leave them entirely miserable is mm. my way of saying, let's start it off. Well, and as fair, I said, to start the book. You see, over the years, when you look at, if you look at comedy as an yeah. art form, comedy and, and, and comedic writing has always been a way to deliver a message. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Because when you're laughing, like, you're learning. Yeah, and remembering, apparently, now I read this somewhere, and we'll always find stats to back up our argument, but I did read somewhere that a memory, you remember things better if you learn them in good form yes. and while laughing and all of that. Um, and so this is, look, this is my kind of, my 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 way in, as in I pick up rubbish, I know how to make people laugh, Where how can I help? Yeah. And it's not the only story. I haven't transformed my life. But even in writing the book, I've become more aware. And do you know what, Peter? The, the crack in some sustainability is funny. Like, I think it's much more funny to buy stuff secondhand online. The characters you meet, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you meet somebody halfway in a little car park in the Midlands to get a secondhand Peppa Pig thing that's in perfect <laughs> nick. <laughs> you know? And if you get the train on, even better, you know, burn petrol on the way. But you know, like, even that there's crack to be had about sustainability that maybe we don't always get across. Like going to the local shop that, that you know, does stuff, you know, and puts stuff into your reusable containers, much more fun than driving to a roundabout in the edge of a city. Sorry, there's a child asking my attention here now. Uh, oh. She's homesick. So, yeah, no, I think we're all right. Um, we're in the clear. Um, <laughs> but just to prove that I actually am a parent, in case anyone's <laughs> wondering. Um, but, like, it's also about trying to find a bit of crack and... If anybody, um, if anybody feels like this is a, a solo effort, building communities of people who are interested is always fun. The people you meet along the way, and you might not as agree with them, but mm. that you've some rough thing in common, I do think will help in this. Um, and it won't be a shouted argument. It might just be a good natured, no. uh, a good natured chat, you know, over tea. And, and that's and that's what I'm saying. You you learn more when you're enjoying the conversation. I think so. Here's yeah. one I'll bounce off you though before I let yeah. you go, Colm, and maybe your thoughts on it. I was saying last summer and the summer before, when our weather here was showing clear evidence of climate change. I mean, two yeah. two lengthy heat waves, you know, yeah. in two consecutive summers. Now, I am a guy who loves the sun. I thrive I know. for the sun. Yeah. And I was trying to say, look, it is okay to enjoy these few beautiful weeks and at the same time understand that they're coming from something that is not good. It is okay to feel this, to, 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 to have that div- division of feeling, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think about this myself and the way I was even thinking about it during October, November, where it was kind of a bit weirdly mild and the yes. days were still short, but it was, so it was mild at darkness at five o'clock 
and you're going, this is like being on holidays. You feel like you need to go to a museum because you can't stay, you can't stay by the pool. You know, it's that kind of feeling. And you know what I feel about it? If it helps anyone, the, the, the good in inverted commas weather we're getting now or the weather that means we don't have to have the heat on and we think we know why it's happening. And I think this was maybe the first year that people realised this weather feels a bit like climate. You know, you know, there is a difference between the two. That's, so for me, to make me feel better, that's carbon that's already in the air, right? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you can't, you can't, that's why I, you can enjoy the nice weather while knowing this can't last or we need to do something about this because that's stuff that's already up there. Mm. If, you know, I believe that, I believe in the science, I know some people don't, but listen, we can have that chat and we'll put aside four weeks for that another day. Um, <laughs> but so in terms of how do you get through your day and make deals with yourself to say, I'm going to feel bad about this and good about this. Mm. Because literally the human brain can only deal with so much good news and bad news. And there's plenty of bad news is, yeah, like it's a nice day. That stuff's already baked in literally, but <laughs> it, you know, yeah. we need to move on. Um, and don't waste, I, I feel I can't waste mental energy on worrying about good weather. That's already happened. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And, and like the, and, and, okay and in October, enjoy, November, it's okay to enjoy it, but realize why it's happening too. Yeah, and like even in October, November, your people are going, "This isn't right." Well, listen, leave the heat off. The one thing you can do, <laughs> do you know what I mean, is not have the heat on full blast and have it warm outside. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean. You know, do your bit for next year or the year after if you can, if the house is or for insulated and all that kind of thing, or for your pocket. Exactly. Look, <laughs> there are no simple solutions to this. Mm. Um, this is book. This book, you know, as I say at the start of the book. If you read only one book about climate change, don't make it this one. <laughs> read <laughs> well, more I, stuff. I have to say, I yeah. enjoyed it. I read, yeah. read a couple of books about climate change now. Yeah. I've enjoyed leafing through this one. And as I said, I howled with laughter a few times. And then Good. thought, he's Good. actually right, though. And I think that's yeah. the mix you wanted. Good. Well, I'm delighted to hear it. And, and I'm sure there's bits in it that are wrong. All I say about being wrong is, tell me I'm wrong. Don't be a knob about it. Just tell me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't don't own me on Twitter. Right. Just say, look, Colm, I looked into that. This is different to what you think. And I go, fine. I'll put that in book two. <laughs> All right. Listen, we'll talk again. Thanks very much. Colm O'Regan, the author of Climate Warrior, A Hypocrite's Guide to Saving the Planet, which is out now, published by HarperCollins, Ireland. 0818 96 96 96. A few people calling us about that story in the news about arming the guards. It's the oldest. The guards are 100 years old and the argument about arming the guards is as old as the guards themselves. And I was thinking about what Leo Varadkar said at the weekend. He said, if Drew Harris asked, could we arm the guards? He kind of said, I wouldn't refuse him. That doesn't mean a whole pile, really. Does it? What, what is it? I'd, I'd like your thoughts. Maybe it's a bit late on a Monday for this now, but your thoughts on whether or not it's time to arm more guards. 0818969696. Thanks, Colm. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96 FM. Christmas!
Christmas with your local Maze. Making your Christmas extra special with festive offers. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. An evening of music will take place at St. Peter's Church, Bandon on Thursday the 1st of December. Featuring lots of local musicians including Monster Mix Chorus, Coltus Balance Fiddle and Bandon Grammar School Choir. The event begins at 8 o'clock and all proceeds will go to St. Vincent de Paul. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. Cullum's book is actually funny. It really is because he's addressing a, a serious issue in our time. Uh, but in a way that does, you will howl with laughter. And, be, and then you go, oh God, he's right. Oh Jesus, he's right. That's, and that's, that's great. 0818 96, 96, 96 on driving tests. A lot of people talking about long, long delays. The estimated date given for Skibbereen was the end of January. That was only three weeks ago. Now the people estimated for January have had that changed to April. And also remember the estimated date is only when you'll get the email stating the date of your test. Your actual test could be three to five weeks after the estimated date. So it'll be May before people get their test in Skip. How did the waiting list jump by almost three months in the space of a couple of weeks? That's Michelle. I think, um, was it Michael Collins was saying that that's because one tester quit and now another tester has had it in their notice and, and they have no testers. So they've been driving test centre and no testers. That seems to be why we've got such a massive waiting list in in West Cork. 0818 96 96 96. I was telling you, and we do four Christmas trees in, in our house. Um, two of them are real. Two of them are artificial. But the fourth one we added last year was a little one I bought in a pot. And it comes in a little tub. It was three feet tall. And into the little tub it went. And we decorated it and put it out from the deck. It was lovely. And then we put it away in the corner of the garden with every intention of transplanting it to a bigger pot. And, of course, it got buried behind stuff. And the poor bugger died. So there it was, and we had to very sadly take it out of its pot and chop it up and, and send it to the green waste. So I have to get another one this year. I have to grow another, get another little tree in a pot this year. Um, but Finton Reardon is a, a grower of Christmas trees. Uh, Finton, it's that time of year again, mate, and you're busy, are you? Good morning. Yes, hi, hi PJ, how are you doing? Thanks a million for having me on the show. Yeah, it's um, yeah, really ramping up at this time. Uh, we, you know, we had to start early in November, but um, the weather is a really good sunshine ahead of us as well, which is really going to help this week. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. the tree in the pot got very popular the last couple of years. Yeah, um, I suppose. The thing about, we 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 tried the tree in the pot uh a good, a good long time ago. Um, so what we did, we put saplings into pots. We even tried uh, growing them on a kind of a, a small scale. Um, I suppose. Look, the kind of, I think people need to be aware, and I do end up converting people to buy a, a real tree instead of a pot-grown tree because you can't keep a pot-grown tree indoors for the whole season; it, it, it will die. So that's the kind of catch there. Um, oh, and here's a, a, another catch: pot-grown trees, there's no one who grows them 
in Ireland, we don't grow them. No one else grows them. There's a very good reason. So we actually buy those pot-grown trees are actually brought in from the UK. All the pot-grown trees that you buy anywhere, they're brought in for the UK. Um, so you're not really, I suppose you're not really sporting local, but we, we do have them. Other sellers have them. They're kind of a, a, a great addition, really, is mm. what they are. But unfortunately, they won't replace... Um, the Christmas tree that you have in your house, but yes. I think it's just all the fun of growing it as well, though having one like a lot of people ah, yeah. buy them I mean, in well, addition. Well, yeah, our our mistake was that after the Christmas when we we left it outside and because we knew it would die inside, we left it yeah. outside, and then after the Christmas, the, the, the plan was to get a proper bigger, bigger pot. pot. Yeah, and that's the thing to do. Yeah, that's the but right of course thing to do. we we forgot to do that, and the poor burger died, and and we would eventually the plan was to make it give it its own space when it would get too big for any pot to actually plant it in the back garden. But Even then I realised yeah. how bloody big these things get. Like for example, the average the average six footer or seven footer yeah. real tree that goes in the front room. That's the top of a much bigger tree, isn't it? Yeah, and that and we we had a six feet pot grown last year. We've stopped doing them. We stopped stopped in the five foot as well. Um, and again, like I said, no, no one really no one grows pot grown trees in Ireland. There's a reason why there. It's just a whole completely different setup. But um, they 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 won't. They're struggling in the pot anyway. Even from a three to four foot, they struggle in the pot. Yes. Like Christmas trees should grow a foot every year. They're really marginally growing every every year in the pot. They're struggling. So um, you really need to get it out of the pot. A five to six foot. I've experiment with, experimented with them over the years and uh, put them in all sort in different pots. Um, the only way for them to, to survive, if you buy a five or six foot, is planted straight away. It's struggling in the pot. It shouldn't be in that pot. Yeah. It, they come in a standard growing pot, which is actually, you know, really very tight space for them when, when they come out of the ground in that pot. So, yeah, we, we've stopped doing the five to six foot. They're just they're just a bad product to sell, really. Yeah. Instead, I'd rather tell people, buy a real tree. And and the other thing is, the pot growing trees, you're thinking, oh, is this better for the, the environment? It's yes. actually not. It's really? not really... It's not actually taking any CO2 in because it's struggling for a start. Um, another thing is they come out of the ground. The soil is, I suppose, with Christmas trees, all trees, the roots store carbon in the ground, okay? Mm. Um, they store about 40% of carbon is stored in the roots in the ground. But if you start plowing that ground and ripping up the ground, you're actually releasing that carbon it back back into into the air again, yeah. so you're 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 so you're going to disrupt the soil and it's going to go back in, yeah. and they're unfortunately they're not really they are doing so, a little bit, but yeah. they're they're struggling to do it unfortunately unless you plant it, yeah. plant it out in your garden, which a lot of people uh, do as well, and that's what I um and I say to people who want to buy a popcorn tree, I say look if you could buy it with the intention of planting it, growing it, growing and planting it and the challenge of us, not with the intention of uh, replacing your six foot tree in your living room, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Yeah, you're, it's going it's gonna, to, it's gonna, you're better yeah. off to recycle the six yeah. foot tree and then it goes back into the ground, it's much better yeah. for the environment. Yeah. And there's, there's great recycling services now for those trees so that as soon as you're done in January, about how long, yeah. if you keep a, a, a tree, the actual yeah. cut Christmas tree, how long should you expect to get out of it, Finton? Because our last tree that goes up is yeah. that big six footer, and usually it's up. It goes up the last weekend before Christmas, and it's up until literally, literally the seventh of January. And yeah. the last couple of years, I've managed to get until the fourth or fifth of January before it began to look a bit tired. 
Okay, well, here's the thing. Do you know what type of tree you I, have? I, I always you know, go the, for the spruce. The, the Or the Nordman, maybe? Yeah. You see, the, the Noble Fir, we, we sell mainly two types, Noble Fir, Norman Fir, and we have a whole bunch of other species we're growing as well. Balsam Fir, popular Canadian one, uh, um, Lassio and Fraser mm. and Cray, and they're all going to be coming up stream just to give people a choice from our Christmas tree farm. I like the nice, or, plump, yeah. the nice plump needles, you know those ones. I like those ones. So the, the Noble Fir... Uh, if 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 you're putting your tree up early, any customer comes in, uh, I'd say look, and they and they're not sure, and they think that you know, most a lot of customers, if they buy them every year, they they go okay, I put it up at this date, and I never have an issue, so I keep going at that date. But kind of uh, what it sounds like, what you need to do since you're, it hasn't lasted as long last year, you need to go for a noble fir, and um, the noble fir. The kind of worst case scenario seen with a noble fir is they they, drew, they don't drop any needles. Yeah. That's worst case case I've seen a noble fir. We've loads of them here on our farm in ovens and here down here in Centre Park Road in the marina. Uh, we've loads of them. So we do uh, educate people when they come in or I do actually tell some people uh, please go home and come back next week. You know, yes. I, I don't want them to have a bad experience and then end up going to an artificial tree the next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the arti- so, the artificial trees, the the there's no argument there with the environment. They're well, they're plastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely, exactly. <laughs> uh, actually, just on the on the real trees as well. Another one is when you buy a tree, wherever you go buy it, ask when it's cut. A lot of places they're they're cut very early. Um, yeah. you know they're brought down from wherever anywhere in Ireland or whatever, but they're cut very early in November. We do it differently. If well, if you come to our Christmas tree farm in ovens, we cut it there and then you oh. get to pick a live tree and we oh. you watch it. We cut it there and then yeah. Um, and in Centre Park Road in the Marina, we break we top up. I, I know which trees when they were cut. Uh, and if someone is like, I want a fresh cut, then I'll say they're over there. Right. Uh, they're the fresh cut trees. Yeah, just yeah. if people make those requests, and I, you, know the way you, 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 you buy it on a Friday or you buy it on a Saturday and you're going yeah. to decorate it on a Sunday. Is it silly to put it into a bucket of water? Is that, that a wasting that, your time? That's a good there? idea. Is no, it? you're not. Um, even take a, an inch off the bottom. Uh, we can do that here. Uh, or if you want to do it yourself as well, take an inch off the bottom. Um, that's one step. And then leave it in the bucket of water uh, so it soaks up water before you bring it in. That's that's a good idea as well. And then, of course, when you bring it in, just try and use a, a water holding stand. Um, and you, uh, some people use seven up. We give out these uh, tree food sacks. Is they come in a little packet, uh, we give them out for free. Just say, look, mix that with your water. It's kind of the same effect as the Seven Up. Uh, so that, that's that's another uh, another thing. But de- definitely keep watering it. Turn off the the rad if it's going to be next to a rad. Turn off the fire. D- don't have it next to a fire. Um, try and pick a you know a cooler corner if you can as well. Um, it, it just it, it gives a much better experience. Like we have some actually quite a lot of customers who are used to buying them every year and they. They put them up um, first of December and then they get to mid-January. Yeah, or oh, you'll get a few yeah. weeks out of it if you look after it. And definitely the 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 the, the seven up. I I but let it go flat. It doesn't like the fizzy stuff. Just <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's many ways, and we might talk again this be, be before Christmas about how to maintain them. But lastly, trees being stolen. 
no, not that's more in Wicklow, not in Cork. I mean, uh, all of us as growers, why we compete with each other, we we all we get along, we pass information, and most of us are part of that uh, Irish Christmas Tree Grower Association. That's Wicklow. They're bigger operations because they they are set up. You forget about it. You take hours to take one tree. Don't even waste your time. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, no, in Wicklow. You see, they they have a massive, massive plantations where they might sell fifty thousand trees every year and export them. So they have a they cut them all, then they palletize them, they net them and palletize them, which means they're more compact. So the thieves are kind of like, oh, this is more of an opportunity because it's an easier steal. So they they I'm just guessing what they probably do is they wait till that job is done, then they come in, take the netted trees, and off they go with a truck truckloads now that, that that's how they do it up there it's very okay. isolated up in the Wicklow Mountains as well okay. so but not in Cork uh, not in Cork but um, I would love to mention one thing about the uh, sorry the, the environmental benefits for Christmas tree farms we've done a case study about the carbon and how much uh, CO2 is sequestered every year in a farm we're actually running a campaign on our social media giving away a free tree and the, the hint is there answer the question of how many uh how many uh, tons of CO2 does our Christmas tree farm sequester every year? And the hint is in there with the blog post link on our social media, Car Christmas Tree. So, right. um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd welcome you, PJ, as well, to, to enter it. And, um, yeah, just uh, whoever answers the question uh, gets what free I, tree. What, I might, what I'm almost certainly going to do, Finton, and I'll talk to you, I must go down to this farm of yours. I'd love Definitely, to come down and sure. see. I'd love to come down to this farm of yours uh, between now and, and the Christmas and maybe bring a maybe bring a tape recorder and we can, or whatever, <coughs> modern gear. And do, do, I'd love that. I'd, I'd love that. It'd be nice yeah. to hear the, 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 the sounds of saws and stuff like that. Finton, thank you. Finton Reardon from Cork Christmas Trees. Look, four weeks today is Stephen's Day, so stop telling me. It's too far away. Tis nearly on top of us. 0818-969696, which means we also have, and they're back with us once again for December, our good friends at Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade with a €200 voucher to give away every day this week. You give the gift of happiness to your loved ones this Christmas with a Foot Solutions gift card. Free your feet and the rest will follow. We have a classic Christmas song with a word taken out. Now, I should tell you, if you can't get this, you definitely shouldn't be allowed out on your own. You really shouldn't be allowed out on your own. It's so easy. We just want the word and your name. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Ho, ho, ho. Off you go. For non-stop Christmas hits. Non-stop Christmas hits. My Christmas present for you. Listen to Cork's 96mas. Streaming online now. Download our app or see 96fm.ie. I saw Doug frantic on the N40 road westbound between the merging lane from Cork Builders Providers and the exit for Wilton. I couldn't pull in. There's no hard shoulder. A black and white dog looks like some kind of a spaniel has a collar on. Hope he gets to safety or finds his owner, just in case anybody is looking for him, says Molly. Thanks for that, Molly. And also from Douglas, from the Douglas Post Community Magazine, Marie has been on to 
Ask me to remind you that they are switching on the Christmas lights in Douglas next Sunday. And the Christmas lights in Douglas are just brilliant every year. We'll have Christmas markets from 12, Santa at half three, he'll arrive on a fire engine. And the lights will be switched on at five o'clock by my great pal, Gareth O'Callaghan. Delighted to have, let you mention that on the show. Absolutely. Next, next Friday, might even be there myself. Next Sunday, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Right. Ho ho ho! Samantha. Yep. What word uh, have we left out? You. You. It was really easy, wasn't it? Okay. Oh, well, you, definitely. You have got a two hundred euro voucher for Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade in Cork um, on its way to you. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you, Samantha. I patched it through to, to the lads again there. She's in man. We have got one of those every day this week with Foot Solutions for your feet and the rest will follow down on the Grand Parade. 0818 96 96 96. Last bit of business today, the toy show. Sure, it was great. It was gas. It was great fun sat watching it with way too much chocolate and popcorn and jellies and that was I just bad just demented but young man Aaron Hennessy turned up on the Late Late Show he was rapping a big number and there's Aaron Hennessy from Cork rapping in the middle of it and he got a name check as well from Ryan Tuberty after the number um, I just wanted to talk to Aaron and his mum about how you get onto the toy show and he was telling me about this over the weekend he said it all started with an audition yeah I auditioned through the cabin studio I made a video and sent it through the toy show yeah and they rang my mum asking if I could come up to the audition in Dublin that was on the 18th of October and then about two weeks later they rang me saying I'm on it fabulous so tell me about the day tell me about all the excitement of the day so we woke up in a fabulous hotel and we had our breakfast and went to Dundrum Town Centre mm. where I went to the Liverpool shop and I got some stuff in the Liverpool shop. Brilliant. And then when we got to the RT Studios, I just started getting excited then and started getting ready. Yeah. Was there a lot of rehearsal? Yes, before the day, but on the day there wasn't any. Oh, you've been a few rehearsals before. When when we were up for those? Last Sunday and Thursday morning. Crikey, so you've been really busy. Yeah. Tell me all about your music at the cabin. What a great place. So the cabin studio is owned by um, a fella called Gary McCarthy. So we make, like, we do songwriting up there, podcasts, raps, basically anything. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start playing the bow on? About three years ago, four years ago. Right, right. And was it in the cabin you learnt, or did you just... How did how did yeah. you choose a Bowron to play? It was just an Irish instrument, and... Yeah, you just liked it? Yeah. No, uh, I learnt it in school with Music Generation. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. Gary's involved in that, too. Yeah, where, where do you go to school? Well, I learnt it in my primary school, St. Mary's on the Hill, but I'm now in Gwiltosh, the Vikivna, GMS. A great place. Did your friends in class know that you were going to be coming on the Late Late Show? 
they knew I was going to be on it, but they didn't know what I was doing until last night. Yeah. And when did you find out what you were doing? When my mum got the call. They told me, like, I was rapping and I had to make a rap. Oh, you had to write it yourself, yeah? Yeah. I wrote it with Gary. You wrote it with Gary. So when did you write that? The Wednesday before the rehearsal. So last Wednesday. Okay, so it's a really new, a really new rap. Yeah. What's Ryan Tubbard? Everyone wants to know this, Aaron. What's Ryan Tubbard like? He's sound. Is he? He's, yeah, he's very... He's this exact same off camera. He's very funny. Come here, you're a big Liverpool fan. Did you get a chance to meet Kevin Kelleher? I know he was there with one of the other lads. And I got a picture with him. Did you? Yeah. He's dead sound, you know. I know he is. So did you, did you know when you went up that you were going to get a chance to meet someone like him? No, but I ran around the whole RT building just to find them. <laughs> I bet you did, lad. I bet you did. So was it was it as exciting as you'd expected or more? It was class. The stage, though, was very, like, it was smaller than we thought. On telly, it looks much bigger. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, because I've never been in that studio. I've, I've never been good enough to be brought on the toy show, you know. Is, is it really small in real life, yeah? It's it's not small, it's just squeezed in. Yeah, everything's packed into it. Can I talk to Mum for a sec? Hi PJ, how are you? He's exhausted. He's wrecked this morning. Um, I have to say though, he was super cool yesterday. There was no excitement in him, there was no nerves or yeah. anything. Uh, I think I was the one that was anxious more than the child. Go on, tell me all about it. So how anxious were you? Um, I thought I was fine <laughs> until yesterday. And he was doing these rehearsals and I was like, oh my God, he's going to forget something. He's going to forget to part, to, to move parts of his body, to dance to it or whatever. Yeah. And um, he seemed perfectly fine. I'd say he was head wrecked from myself and Gary telling him what to do. <laughs> and when we finished rehearsal with him and um, when we got to studio, he was grand. He was sitting there. He was relaxed out. And I was just like... Yeah, definitely not my child anyway. He's too kind <laughs> to be my child. Um, so when he went up, we were at the parents were in the green room waiting. So when we see them lining up behind Ryan, I was like, yes, they're coming on. And when he came on then, sure, of course, I was an emotional wreck then. <laughs> it was brilliant for him, though. It's a great experience for any child. Yeah. You know, it's a child's dream. It really is, isn't it? And and the show is all about the kids having fun. I mean, the, yeah, there's toys. It's it's like a big show for kids to have fun, and there's toys there too. Yes, yes. And I mean, the staff are just fantastic with the kids. They're just so good with them all. So, yeah, it was a great experience for him overall, and it was always his dream to be on the toy show, so he finally got to go on it. Good for him. Did you, did you meet Tubbs yourself? Oh, I did. <laughs> Met him Thursday when the kids were in rehearsal. Um, he came into the room and all the kids were screaming. And of course, us adults had to get involved and we had to get our picture taken with him as well. So Is he as mad off the telly as he is on the telly? Cause... He is actually. <laughs> yeah, his personality doesn't change. Well, it's been a fabulous experience. And then he gets to meet Kevin Kelleher into the bargain. like. Oh, God, yeah. Um, that was Aaron's highlight but he nearly missed him running around RT studio looking for him. And I just happened to go to the corridor and I seen him. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, Aaron's going to miss this. So I went and asked him, could I have a photograph and stayed with him? So I got a photograph with him. 
And he did say, uh, love the accent. And of course, I had to say, yeah, bye from Cork. Of course. Same as yourself. Lovely lad, isn't he? Lovely chap. Yeah, he's lovely, lovely. So I rang Aaron and I said, quick, get back down here. I said, he's here, you're going to miss him. So when Aaron came down then he was taking more photographs and when he saw Aaron, he obliged him with the photo because he knew he'd been all over the building looking for him. That alone is a brilliant story to bring home. Delighted to talk to you and well done to Aaron and Regina. It's been great to catch up with you both. Brilliant, PJ. Thank you very much. Hey, Aaron. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. And good luck with the career, yeah? Thanks. Bye. Yeah, we had a chat with them on Saturday when they were just getting over the toy show. Thanks, guys. And thank you. Back in the morning, just after nine. The legendary Cork's 96 FM Santa Calls are back. Festive. We've asked Santa to call as many children as possible before the big day. And as a good friend of the show, he's agreed. Ho, ho, ho! To be able a chance to get a call from Santa in the North Pole, simply go to 96fm.ie and fill out the form. Santa Calls with Dan Seaman Motors, the ho-ho-home of Fiat, Alfa Romeo, Jeep and Fiat Professional in Cork. See danseamanmotors.ie Only on Cork's 96FM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.